This is Professional Life Crisis. I'm your host, Amanda. And by now, I'm a damn near professional at having a life crisis. This podcast is here to help you get through those messy, uncertain times riddled with ramen noodles and self-doubt. If you're an ambitious, curious young professional trying to pave your way in the world, it's not as scary as I once thought it was, but I really wish I'd had someone to tell me that. Wes, I'm so excited to talk with you today about all things mental health in the workplace and how your mental health issues have impacted your experience at work, as well as your professional life crisis that I I know is going to bring you down a completely new path and how all of your past experiences have laddered up to you making that decision or coming to that decision. You have been very open and very vulnerable in talking about your personal experience with your mental health challenges and how that sort of affected you as an individual. And I'm curious to talk a little bit more about that and also understand what effect your mental health has had on the workplace and how you have been able to deal with that while being in these very demanding sort of high profile roles. Totally. Let me explain my diagnoses and then talk to you about how it impacts my work positively and negatively. So I was diagnosed with OCD obsessive compulsive disorder in 2016. The way that I explain OCD, this is like not scientific. This is just how it feels to me. But basically your your brain's mental immune system that it's supposed to be kind of keeping out certain really ridiculous thoughts that don't actually make sense. It's a little faulty. And so these like thoughts get through into your brain and they shouldn't be there. Thoughts like, I want to push that guy in front of that speeding train. And you're like, I don't actually really want to do that. But that thought pops into your head. Hmm. Uh, And then once it's in your head, your brain goes, well, it made it here. The thought's here. It must be important. Let's kind of like monitor the thought. So then all of a sudden you start getting really anxious about the thought. You're like, I had the thought. Does that make it true? Like, why would I have the thought if I didn't want to push it? Or, you know, in that example, there's a million different types of OCD. So there's like the first thought and then there is the dissecting of the thought, all the secondary thoughts about the thought. Correct. And with that dissection comes intense anxiety and it's almost like a feeling of like pure terror and panic. And then your brain goes, well, there's a lot of uncertainty here. Let's try to find some certainty. And that's where the compulsion comes in. So for example, if the uncertainty is, hey, I touched this table and it's a little sticky. And then this thought pops in my head. What about if that stickiness is like infected blood or something? Then you've got this weird uncertainty and you're freaking out about it a little bit. And your brain goes, well, we can fix this. We can make it certain that there's no, you know, trouble if you just go wash your hands, Wes. And that's when you go and you take this action that's supposed to give you some level of certainty back. So that's kind of OCD. There's like a million flavors of them, things that are really bizarre, things that like are shown in TV, things that they don't show on TV. But that core pattern is always there of like weird thought and uncertainty that comes with that. And then you got to get you've got to remove that uncertainty no matter what it takes. If that takes washing your hands 10 times in a row, you got to do it. So that's that's OCD that I've been dealing with for eight years at this point. And that comes and goes in terms of how intense it is. Then the other diagnosis that I have, and this is very common to have both of these together, is bipolar disorder. 
There are two types of bipolar disorder. Bipolar one is more severe. Bipolar two is less severe. I have bipolar two, but basically what happens is you experience really elevated mood states that can be very uncomfortable or can be kind of fun and entertaining, minor uncomfortable. And then you also experience very, very depressive mood states. And sometimes you can actually express or experience a mixed state where you're, you have a lot of energy, but that energy is paired with depression. So I was diagnosed with bipolar two in 2021. And what that means is basically I take medication to help stabilize my mood. And then I also take medication to help even when your mood is stable and you're not having the crazy highs or crazy lows, you still can experience depression, irritability, agitation, anxiety. So I take medication to both stabilize my mood and to treat and help some of those other symptoms that come even when my mood is not like going like this. I really appreciated the descriptions that you gave, especially the analogy that helps me understand a bit more about how the compulsive behaviors play the role or how the how the sort of obsessive thoughts become the compulsive behaviors to help you control the thoughts. And I can definitely imagine how OCD and bipolar disorder then would go together. So thank you for giving that description. I hope it helps somebody else who maybe is like starting to discover that they are experiencing either or both of those mental health conditions. So yeah, I mean, that is some heavy stuff. I'm sure that that has had an effect on your professional life and your ability to execute work at certain times. So how has it been for you living with both of those disorders? And have you been like very upfront with your employers and the people that you work with about it? How have you dealt with that at work? Yeah. Well, first, I'd like to say that I think that there are some ways in which they help me, which is interesting. The number one reason or the number one way, like I don't really think bipolar helps me. There are some people who will experience manic episodes where they get a ton of work done. I do not experience those, but for some people that is helpful. Damn, that could have been the one great benefit. I know. Yeah. Unfortunately, not for me. But I do, I think from OCD, I do get a benefit of like being really good at pattern matching and analogies because OCD makes such wild jumps in your mind all the time for you that you get really used to that. And so you just kind of get, get like accustomed to viewing very different things as potentially similar, I guess. Wow. So yeah. It's kind of interesting. I've just experienced that. I've been pretty good at analogies, pattern matching, like that kind of thing. Does that help if you're talking to potential clients or potential customers of a product? Like, How does that actually come into play for you usually? It's really useful in like marketing and branding because I can think of connections that elicit like emotional responses in people or make something that is novel feel very familiar. Wow. But that there's like still a connection. So it doesn't feel like out of left field. So I'd say that that's one thing. And then I think on the personal side, it it does help me connect with other people as well. That's so interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. And I think so much of the reason that people like other people and other things and they buy things is because there is some element of familiarity with them. So if you're really good at creating those bridges between something that's unfamiliar and something that people can perceive as familiar, I mean star marketer right there that's great <laughs> maybe yeah 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 but that's kind of the like that's one thing that i've noticed now to answer your question more directly about like 
what I do, how I talk to my, my bosses. Basically, I kind of zero depth entry pull them. Like I just start talking about having OCD and bipolar. I never sit them down and I'm like, I have debilitating mental conditions that may impact my <laughs> You know, like I don't do that. Yeah. I like, I'm trying to remember how it even came up first at Google. Um, it sounds like it's more of a casual approach. It's more just a part of your life and it's something you, you know, might chat about for right. a reason if it comes up in conversation, but it's not this like big coming out conversation of like, no, let no. me, let me sit you down and tell you. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. It's very, it's very casual. I just kind of slide them in and it's, and it's very, very easy. Now I've also benefited greatly in that I've never had, at least to my knowledge, I've never had a negative ramification at a job that I have. I also will bring it up to founders, especially at mental health startups, if I'm applying, that kind of thing. So it's potentially harmed me there and I just never knew it. But to my knowledge, I have not received harm from kind of being so frank about it up to this point, which is a huge... That's reassuring. Yeah. And I also think that that's probably specifically true in tech. I don't know if I I had done this in another industry, if I would have experienced the same thing. Yeah, like the finance bros might not be so receptive to like, yeah, hey, I'm just having like a bit of an OCD outburst and uh, struggling with this, you know, might be a little bit of a different crowd. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But then in terms of when I'm when I'm kind of going through an episode or, or experiencing like a lot of invasive thoughts or something, I don't think I have ever kind of explicitly told somebody, hey, this is a mental health crisis that I'm going through. I also haven't been hospitalized or anything while I've been working, but I'll typically just like take a sick day if I'm doing very, very badly to the point where I'm debilitated or I will, yeah, or if I'm experiencing bad side effects from medications, which is very common with some of the bipolar drugs. But I don't know why I don't do this, but I typically will not distinguish between mental and physical health when I'm taking a sick day or something like that. I just kind of leave it up to their imagination. Um, And I think that's totally fine for your own privacy there's so many reasons that people could need a break and it doesn't always have to be like yeah i have a fever right now you know right Right. so that's kind of how i handle it but i think the way that it impacts me is i I think a lot of the times i'm doing the work but then i'm also fighting like internal narratives either the ocd kind of invasive thoughts or the like agitation or depression from the bipolar. So it just feels sometimes like I have the the cards stacked against me a little bit. Mm. Uh, That may not be true because everybody is dealing with something, but that's sometimes how I can feel. And I think it can also really sometimes bring perspective to work. And I'll feel like this project that I was so worried about actually isn't that big of a deal because I'm like, you know, there are bigger problems out here. So it lends perspective sometimes where I will, I think, be able to zoom out a little bit from the project because I'm just like suffering through something and it helps mm. me kind of like be pulled out. So those are the main ways that I've experienced how it might impact my work. I think it gives me a lot of empathy, which is another upside. Yeah. Is- I think you are a very empathetic person. <laughs> Thank and you. You, yeah. you approach conversations that way. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Is there any advice that you would give to someone who's maybe a little bit earlier in their journey of figuring out that they are experiencing any of these mental health conditions who are also in, you know, a very demanding workplace? And I imagine that that is quite a sort of scary time before you've sorted out why am I having all of these feelings and like, why don't I feel like my brain is working like other people's? What would you tell somebody that's at that stage? I would, yeah. 
I would tell them that it's going to get better. First of all, I think with, with therapy, with medication, like your life will get better, uh, substantially better. And then I would say, don't waste your suffering basically is the other thing I would say. Like it sucks, but you've been given some suffering. And when you come out the other side, you know, use it to bless somebody and to, and to touch someone. And that might be at work. That might be outside of work, but that's just something I really believe in is like, if you have to suffer, you may as well use it for good. <laughs> yeah. That's really yeah. insightful and, and really kind and caring of you to say, this is sort of speaking from an outside lens, but when you first start working and you're finally employed and you have the options to explore your own insurance and if like being on your parents' insurance was a blocker before about like talking yeah. to your parents about getting therapy, it's a great time to investigate what kind of options are given to you because all these health insurance companies offer different things. And now that you're finally on your own and you have the ability to, you know, have your own insurance, make your own decisions and and get yourself the help that you, you know, need it's a great time to figure that out. Find an option through work. Like so many of these bigger companies also offer more mental health perks than they used to. I think bigger companies, like especially during the pandemic, I don't know if they all are still doing this, but at Accenture, they would give us access to like online therapy and all of that was free, which is amazing considering what therapy can, can cost. So yeah, yeah I, I, I think it's also coming from my own, uh, my own perspective of trying to figure out my own health insurance recently as someone who is newly self-employed. So scary. <laughs> it's really scary figuring that out. But yeah, it sounds like you've really learned how to take what a lot of people may see as a negative thing and figure out ways that it can positively affect you and ways that it has already positively affected you. And maybe that will inspire some other people who are just in the thick of it right now. Yeah. And I will say that I'm not out of the woods. I mean, I still suffer. Like I, I if, if I could wave a magic wand and make it go away, I would. So you're catching me at an optimistic time, but yes, like it does get better. Even if it ebbs and flows, there are good times and hopefully the trajectory is still up and to the right, you know, as you work with a psychiatrist or a therapist. But yes, yes. Overall, I'm trying to offer some hope. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for that. I've been eating the keto diet for bipolar for mm -hmm. eight months now after coming across some research that was coming out of Harvard on it. How have you found that the keto diet has been for you? Is it helpful? It is helpful. I don't know if it's the silver bullet for me. Mm. I have talked to people. Like I volunteer at an organization that is trying to do advocacy in this space. And there are some people who are off their medications and are like completely kind of cured or in remission from wow. their disorder from this diet. And is it a specific type of keto diet or is it just the keto diet that I know about? Are there modifications? Not really. There's like, there's a very strict clinical keto diet that is used for kids with epilepsy that is over a hundred years old, actually. Wow. That is like very hard to follow, but depending on what results you are getting, some people can eat the keto diet that you would know of. Mm -hmm. that, that's not just like clinical, like medical. Yeah. That's, it's good to track your ketones and stuff like that. But there are people that are able to kind of just eat like the keto diet that you would know of that people are using for weight loss and achieve really amazing results. I mean, there are people with like schizophrenia who will stop hallucinating 
that's uh, that's amazing. The fact that the food yeah. that we eat can actually affect like these very legitimate mental illnesses. I mean, that's yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah. So if you're interested, there's a lot of books and like stuff coming out now. It's kind of becoming more mainstream. Brain Energy is the book that I read that was most impactful. That's by a guy named Dr. Chris Palmer. There's another book coming out called like Change Your Diet, Change Your Mind or something. That's I think similar. I've heard of that one. Yeah, it's kind of going around. It just launched, I think. Actually, I should probably get the audiobook if they have one. I know. So, I love audiobooks. That's how I mainly consume my readings because I don't have the patience to sit and read anymore. <laughs> like, and you're walking the dog or Exactly. Whatever. Driving. Just turn it on. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Let's talk a bit about your career journey. And I'm sure that that has come with probably not one, two, maybe many career crises along the way. Tell me about the most profound one that you've experienced and what you are thinking about for next steps to move past that and enter something new. Yeah. Let me just do a little setup. Both my parents were doctors, so they didn't really know anything about the business world. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. When I went to college, I started poking around and I ended up getting attached to this startup that was making band-aids for darker skin tones. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. And the team was really cool. And I hopped on and I got involved and I ended up taking on a ton of responsibility and kind of learning the ropes of running a CPG company when I was in college. And I thought, this is it. Like, I'm going to be a startup founder. I'm either going to grow this startup and sell it and then start my own thing or I'm going to leave and start my own thing. But this is it. I'm going to be a startup founder. And I ended up parting ways with them in my senior year of college. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to find another startup. So I applied to a bunch of startups and I ended up getting the job at Google, which was not a startup. And I kind of thought, well, not a startup, but really cool company. I'll work here for a couple of years. Then I'll leave and go to the startup. Yep. And I start at Google and I'm there for four years and I end up leaving to go to the startup that I was at clay. And the whole time at Google, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a startup founder. I just got to get to a startup. I'm just doing this Google thing for the resume and for the, you know, financial stability while my wife is in grad school and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So I finally get to clay and I'm like, here I am. I'm in the back seat of an awesome startup. I'm going to learn all the tips and tricks and then I'm going to start my own company. Yep. And like six months or a year in, I kind of had my career crisis where I was like, you know what? I really don't like this as much as I thought I did. Like, I really thought that this was going to be my path. I was going to do clay for two years. Then I was going to find a co-founder, raise money, do a startup. And I realized like six months, a year in, I was like, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. And I had an existential crisis because everything up to then from my sophomore year of college had been building toward like, all right, like you're, you're going to be a startup guy, Wes. Like that's your identity. That's who you are. That's where you find fun and value and excitement. Right. And um, all signs are like pointing you in that direction up until then. All the doors were opening. Yeah. I mean, a ton of doors closed while I was at Google and was applying to different places, but like I got this awesome opportunity at Clay. And so what I started realizing over a period of time there was at Clay was, you know, what's like, you're pretty good at this tech thing, but uh, it's not where you're the most natural. You know, there are people who can spit out what you're doing and what you're laboring over for a long time. They can spit it out in like a few minutes and it's better than yours. Mm-hmm. And where you are more natural, Wes, is maybe where you have lived experience and is maybe where you've got um, 
kind of some of the very soft skills. So I started thinking to myself, maybe I leave tech eventually and go and become a therapist. And that's kind of where I've settled my career trajectory on. I don't know when that's going to happen. I think I have some more time in tech left in me, but it's not, it's not, this is not going to be when I'm in my fifties or something. This is going to be in the next like three to five years probably. Yeah. And it's just been a matter of letting go of that past identity of the startup. Like my identity is in my ability to work in startups and to be creative and to be scrappy. And yeah. I can probably bring some of the scrappiness that I had in startups to, to some aspects of it. But mm-hmm. that's been my crisis. And I think I've come to terms with it now, but it's been like a, a year or two year journey to come to terms with that just because I had so much invested in that past career idyllic picture that I had painted for myself. Yeah. yeah. The like hair on my arms is standing up because <laughs> I felt similarly in more than one chapter of my life. I felt disconnected from my identity as a consultant. And that caused me a lot of cognitive dissonance with the job. Yeah. I didn't feel aligned with that path. I didn't feel similar enough to the people who I saw that were like going up the corporate ladder and they seemed really fulfilled and happy by that. And then at the startup, I think that I realized that I liked so much more of the environment and I did enjoy it. I also am sort of at a pivot point where I'm not sure if I'm going to be in startups and tech forever. And I think similarly to you, I feel very natural about my soft skills. And for me, I think that's going to look more like coaching and trying to help mentor some of the sort of younger people who are coming up and starting their tech careers. Because I do have a love for the entrepreneurs of the world and and still consider myself to be one of those people. But maybe my like sweet spot isn't actually in operating. Maybe it's actually in coaching right. and helping the next generation to learn the skills, to take some of the shortcuts that I wish I would have had. So I really relate to that. And do you think that your experience with all of your mental health challenges over the past couple of years have like really lent to your interest in becoming a therapist? Or was it really more just centered around your soft skills? No, 100%. I mean, probably if I wasn't diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2021, I would not be on this path. I think it was very much because the OCD is, is difficult in my life. But I think the bipolar was an even bigger kind of wake up call. And I think the other thing, and you probably feel similarly, like the other thing was just literally seeing that that's where like there was momentum. Like when I was having conversations with friends that were struggling mentally, I was like, this is energizing. This Mm -hmm. is exciting. Like I get a lot more energy out of doing this than I do doing something that I used to find exciting in tech last year, but I'm not excited about anymore, you know? And I'm sure you feel similarly too, which is like where you start mentoring somebody or coaching someone, you're like this doesn't feel that much like work. Now, if I do it for eight hours a day, it probably would be, but you Mm -hmm. know, like these, this is, I'm feeling momentum. I'm feeling excitement. I'm feeling a pool. I'm feeling, you know, like gives you joy rather than like sucking your joy or your energy. And I think often I try to think about what tasks get me into that like flow state where I feel really energized and really good from the work that I'm doing. There are plenty of times where I could just sit down and apply myself and and do tasks and, you know, get to the answer or execute the project, but it's not really like fueling me forward. It's 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 like right. sucking my energy away little by little. And I think you need to pay attention to those things. Like as you're a young person in your 20s and you're going through all these different career experiences, 
you have to have your like receptors on. You have to be thinking about how yeah. do these different scenarios make me feel? How does this type of work play to my like energy and my emotions? And I think the earlier that we can actually start to take action in the direction of all these signs that we get and the more that we can actually understand them, the closer we can get to our more desired career path sooner. Yeah, I think that's right. I remember reading um, Design Your Life, I think it mm-hmm. is. Yes, I have that book. Yeah. I have it on my bookshelf right over here. Yeah. The premise of that book, for folks that aren't familiar, is essentially just look for places in your life where you have momentum and then follow them. So it's by these guys who run the Stanford Design Lab. Yes, this is a great, a great book. And I think one of the things that's great about it, and I would love to hear what you think is great about it too, is I think it's geared toward people who are very high achievers at work and who already have exposure to the design thinking mindset that is often sort of a piece of growing up in corporate America. And it helps you to apply it to your own life and to think about what do I actually want from my life and not just from this project or this thing that I'm working on. Yeah. The thing that I like about it is how applicable it is to various types of like, I, I, I read it with my friend who is a nurse practitioner, but is pivoting into tech. And then I also recommended it to my younger brother, who's like an actor, uh, who's trying to figure out if he should take a corporate job or stay in the service jobs and keep acting on the side. You know, it's just widely applicable. You know, anybody it can is. read it and get something out of it. Yeah. yeah. It's a great one. It's a great one. I got to read it again and like do it again. Cause I think every, every like year to two years, I basically go through another professional life crisis, which is also why I knew that I was destined to start this podcast. And so I'll like go through an activity like this, like every two years or so. Two years ago, it was in my apartment with my best friend, who I also consider to be like my career and life advisor. (laughs) And we had like this gigantic whiteboard that we had gotten off of Facebook marketplace. And we had to like fold it up like a taco in our car to even fit it. But we'd had this in our in our house. And so we took it out and we just started mapping. Like I was like going through this book and I was mapping all these different paths and what they could possibly look like. But I think it's time to do it again. I think I'm having new ideas, new thoughts, and it's time to go through this exercise yet, yeah, yet again. So I will. Yeah. Thank you for these amazing insights that you've given so far and for being so vulnerable and open yeah, and yeah. talking about your experience. Are you ready for the lightning round questions? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, let's go. You can use three adjectives to describe yourself at the beginning of your career journey. What would they be? Uh, ignorant, naive, hopeful. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like living on a prayer. We don't know shit, but we yeah. got lots of plans. Trying. Trying. <laughs> okay. Number two, what's taught you more, your failures or your successes? Hmm. I think failures. I know that's the cliche. I wanted, I wanted so badly to say successes because it wasn't cliche, but I think <laughs> failures because I'm somebody who really doesn't like feedback, which is very not the norm in tech. Everybody in tech is like, feedback is a gift. Give me feedback. I want feedback. Like, yeah. tell me, tell me I suck, you know? And I'm like, please don't tell me anything unless it's happy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, like, I do not diminish my self view of how great I am. I, like... <laughs> so it's been very good to get some negative feedback on failures because that has helped me overcome that fear. Mm-hmm. Somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's still hard for me, to be honest. It makes you have to confront potentially uncomfortable things about yourself. And that sucks. Okay. Always. Last question. Passion or paycheck? Uh, I think it depends on the point in life. Like I'm thinking about that right now because I think I'm at a point in my life right now where 
paycheck is more important than it's ever been because I'm trying to save money to go back to school potentially in the future. So I think it really depends. I think, I mean, when I, when I went from Google to clay, that was a passion play for sure. And, and then getting laid off at, at clay kind of showed me the value of the paycheck. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that so deeply. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of just think about it differently. Mm hmm. I think you're wise for knowing that different seasons of life call for different things. And there are times when you can be very passion driven and where you've got big chunk of savings and it's not urgent <laughs> that you get, you know, the highest income or save as much money as possible. And you really want to lean into that. And then there are other times in your life where you got to be realistic and you got to make sure that you're covering your ability to live. So I also go through periods of ebb and flow where one of them becomes slightly more important, especially after buying a house. I'm like, all right, got to yep. <laughs> gotta oh, pay yeah. for this. <laughs> and all the furniture that you got to fill the house with and everything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. For me, I'm really good at getting that cheaply. Like I'll take furniture off the side of the street or like I'll buy it on Facebook Marketplace. I have literally no shame and it, it works. It works well for me. But uh, that's that's a great answer. This has been such an amazing chat. Yeah, I really so appreciate having you here. And I really appreciate the relationship that we have developed over the past, I don't know, year or so. And that we've been able to have these really sort of aligned conversations about our experience. And so I appreciate you sharing that also with yeah. uh, the listeners today. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been a joy. 